the Bible reading this morning is from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So great to uh, be with you in person. So it's my first service in person with us since early March last year. So it's kind of exciting, but also very strange for me. Um, Joe and I... And the boys have been um, on holidays in um, Hamilton in Western Victoria. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that's a strange place to go for your holidays. Um, But um, it's actually a really nice town. And the reason we were there is because we have some really good friends who live there. And so um, we were staying with them. And Joe and the boys are still there now. And I'll be going back to visit, uh, back with them after the service this afternoon. And on Friday, as I uh, drove back um, to Melbourne from Hamilton. Um, It's about a three and a half hour drive um, down through past Ballarat and across country. Um, I I listened to my, um, the NIV Bible app. I don't know if you've you've looked at it or listened to it. And it's got the actor David Suchet reading the NIV Bible. And I really quite like listening to it. And I managed to get through 35 chapters of the book of Isaiah. <laughs> um, after that, I still had an hour to go and I, I, I had to stop. <laughs> but um, 35 chapters, it's, it's a really good thing to do to read the Bible in massive chunks or listen to it read because you get a different sense um, of the sweeping storyline and the, and, the, and the ideas of the Bible over long sections rather than just, you know, 10 verses here or a chapter here. And... As we read, as well, as David read through, David Suchet read through those 35 chapters, it covered over one of my favourite bits, which is a poem from chapter 52, and it goes like this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. This poem was written... Um, just after the time when the Babylonian army had ransacked and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and the city and the people were taken into exile. And there were some people left, some Jews left in in, in the city, but not not many, and they were demoralised and and, um, disillusioned with, with, um, with their God and they were saying to themselves, has God abandoned us? What's happening And so the idea of the poem is that there's a watchman on the city walls and he sees a messenger running from the mountains towards the city. And the messenger's saying, I've got good news. 
I've got good news. And when he says that phrase, good news, in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a, it's a word or concept that's used in the announcement of a new king who's going to reign. And, um, and so he's got good news. He's got good news. And Isaiah continues, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. The messenger has got beautiful feet because he's got a beautiful message. Um, and the message is that despite Jerusalem's destruction, God still reigns as king. And one day he's going to return to the city and take up his throne and bring peace. One day God will return to bring with him his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the one who is in heaven, sometimes shortened to the kingdom of heaven, as it is in the Gospel of Matthew. And the watchman sings for joy at this good news. And when you get to the New Testament, the same phrase, good news, or gospel as it's translated also, is used to summarise all of Jesus' teaching. And in the Gospels say that Jesus goes around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The hope and promise that God would return to reign in his kingdom was being fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus saw himself as this messenger. And what he taught about the kingdom was the opposite of what everyone expected. Instead of describing a military kingdom that was going to take over the Roman Empire, he, descri he described an upside-down kingdom where the greatest person in the kingdom was the weakest person, the, the poor, the, those who identified with the poor. Um, in God's kingdom, you respond to your enemies by loving them. You respond to your persecutors by praying for them. This is an upside-down kingdom. Even... Um, you can see that in the citizens of this new kingdom because, you know, one would have expected it to be the religious leaders, but the religious leaders rejected the kingdom and, in fact, tried to stop other people from entering the kingdom. And so um, who were the citizens of this new kingdom? They were the outcasts. They were the tax collectors and the prostitutes. So everything was upside down. And what pe people soon realised was that Jesus was not only the messenger of this good news, of the kingdom, but he was the king of the kingdom. And it got out that Jesus was in fact putting himself forward as the king, this king of the king of Israel. And he was doing things, crazy things like appointing 12 apostles, which were symbolic of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. He was healing people. He was forgiving people of their sins. And so the leaders of Israel plotted to kill him because we can't have people claiming to be king. And the strange thing is that this herald, this, this promised king, Jesus, doesn't stand in the way of this plot to have him killed. And it seems strange, but the reason why he does this is because he could see that human sin was so great that the only way he could bring about God's reign over his people was through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. And so this is why Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as an enthronement. You remember he gets the crown, he gets the robe, and then instead of being elevated onto the throne, he's elevated onto the cross. And the good news is that now Jesus has brought his kingdom 
and Jesus does reign as king and he has conquered Satan, sin and death with his life and his love. And Jesus has called on his followers to keep announcing the good news of the upside-down kingdom and to invite everyone to give their allegiance to King Jesus. There is so much that is mysterious and profound and deep about the kingdom. And the parables in Matthew 13 are given to us by Jesus to help explain the mystery of the kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. And this morning we look at the parables of the mustard seed and, and the yeast, or the leaven as it's often known. And the main point of these parables is this. They've got one sort of main point, which is that God is at work in the kingdom of heaven, even if you can't see him at work. God is at work in the kingdom of heaven, even though you may not be able to see what he is doing. Listen to the first parable again. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the field, though it's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. The focus here is on God's imperceptible power in the kingdom. God's action is so small, it's like a mustard seed, uh, that you can't see it, and yet it's real and it's effective. And in God's perfect time, it grows and into a full bush or tree. What we learn from this is that God's power doesn't depend on human skill or efficiency. In fact, God's power in the kingdom is subversive. Um, as, as, as people who are in the kingdom, we don't need to be conservative with our sowing of the gospel seed. Jesus says we should be foolishly generous. He says we should sow a risky crop on all kinds of soil because God will bring about a super abundant harvest. The kingdom of heaven doesn't depend on our efficiency to be effective. Um, the gospel seed is in endless supply. No one can waste it. And even if we share the, the good news at the wrong time with the wrong person, in the wrong way, God still works powerfully. Sow the seed and let God take care of the results. Even if you can't see what he's doing, he is still at work. The last line of the mustard seed parable is curious and it hints at the fact that this might also be an allegorical parable, maybe. Jesus says the mustard seed will grow into a large tree and that the birds will land in its branches. The mustard bush grows to about eight or ten feet high and birds do flock to them and dwell in their branches. And so perhaps this is an illustration also of the kingdom growing and reaching the Gentile people because in the Old Testament, um, uh, birds of heaven was a metaphor for the, for the Gentiles used in, in different parts of the Bible. And perhaps this gave hope to the small band of apostles who were thinking to themselves, how are we going to get this message out to the whole world when it's just 12 of us and, 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 our, and you know, our families, but we, do, we can't do much? Perhaps that's what Jesus is trying to hint at here in his imagery. Well, let's look at the other parable, the yeast one. Verse 33, he told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Now, many of us have become experts at sourdough 
uh, in uh, the last 12 months. Personally, I, I haven't been, but our family did start a tradition of um, pizza on Friday nights, which does require uh, dough making, and uh, that was about as much as we could handle. Um, and we even finally discovered you could make the pizza dough in our bread maker, which is a nice shortcut. And um, it's a very ancient but satisfying activity making dough, isn't it? Especially when you wake up in the morning with the smell in your house, the smell of bread in your house, and cutting into that freshly baked sourdough in the, in the morning, Australian version with the Vegemite on toast, it's so good. So yummy. And in the first century, the normal way um, of doing this was, of bringing about the fermentation, was, was the way people have been doing it for the last 12 months, um, was to, to insert into the new dough a small amount of old fermented dough. Um, so like leaven um, that has been, the, the fermented dough being removed from the previous baking. And so um, where, we, where we get yeast in our, in our parable, it's actually could also be, leaven is the word that could also be used there. The parable of the yeast or the leaven, it's a little bit different to the mustard seed parable because it's not about its own growth, but it's about the effect of the leaven on the, on the sort of the flower around it or the community around it, if you want to see the, the parallel. Um, there's an expansion which it causes in the new dough. And the point here is that the kingdom of heaven, when God works his power, and this includes working his power through his people, through the ministry of the church, it has a dramatic effect on the surrounding world. A little leaven has great effect. In the parable, Jesus says 60 pounds of flour, which is quite a lot. It's about 27 kilos. Can you imagine 27 kilos in your house of flour? Um, I worked out, um, you know, I looked up a few recipes of sourdough. I'm no expert, so, you know, I'll probably be getting, you know, it's very risky to talk about things you're not an expert from the front in church. But I found a recipe which uses 460 grams of flour. So I worked out you could probably make, with that recipe, 58 loaves of sourdough. It's a lot of bread in the in the in the illustration, in the story that Jesus gives, the parable. But it's not going to work without the leaven. It would just be a rock-hard clump of flour and it would taste, well, you couldn't eat it, could you? But the leaven makes it expand and become lighter and tasty and, and the kingdom of heaven may be initially small and insignificant, but it is pervasive. It will bring transformation to the community, to the world. Like a mustard plant... Uh, that can take over a garden, like yeast that leavens the entire lump of dough, the kingdom of heaven is invading our world. And it won't stop until it reaches every corner of the earth. Sometimes as Christians or as human beings, we can despair at evil and we can think, is the world getting worse? But we are to hear this parable and think that... Um, that actually God is working, even if we can't see him at work. Sometimes we despair at the injustices, the various injustices in the world. Um, and as Christians, as we think about justice, we should not despair and remember that God is at work, even if we can't see him at work. What is small on earth is big in heaven. It's just a matter of time until earth catches up with heaven's purpose. One theologian, Rodney Reeves, writes, one day 
this little kingdom of heaven brought to earth by one man, Jesus Christ, will become so big it will take angels to gather the harvest of disciples into the barn of God's salvation, to pull the net full of fish to the shore and divide the good from the bad. God will finish what he started and it will be big. So with these two parables, Jesus is calling the crowd to have faith. Um, he's, having, he's calling them to have faith in the tiniest movements of God. These movements that are taking place in their presence through him as he speaks and ministers and performs miracles and walks amongst them. He's teasing them with this mysterious teaching so that they can reflect and respond. He wants them to leave behind their shallow view of the world that sees God as irrelevant and see God as the main primary reality. God is at work in the kingdom of heaven, even though we may not be able to see what he's doing. Well, I've got two applications. And the first application is this. God is at work in your ministry, even if you can't see it. Uh, both Joe and I um, uh, have been involved in ministries our whole adult lives, which sometimes can feel like nothing much is happening of significance, that you're not making much difference. Um, I know Joe with her advocacy over the years when I first met her, her advocacy was focused on refugees in Australia. Um, these days with aid and climate change can sometimes feel like nothing is changing. And um, you need a lot of um, persistence if you're going to enter into that space um, because years can go by can sometimes feel like you're making no difference and everything's going backwards. For me, my early years in youth ministry and, in, and, and still in ministry to this day as an Anglican minister, it can feel similar. You do all this work and a year goes by and you think, are we making any difference at all? Is anyone becoming a Christian? Has any um, people on the margins been served? Um, are we actually noticed in the neighbourhood? Is any transformation occurring at all? Are, are, are the Christians that I'm ministering with keeping their faith or are they walking, going backwards? It can feel like that sometimes. But what motivates us both is that we trust that God is at work use, using his power through us, even if we can't see it or feel it. He's working invisibly to bring transformation. And I do believe a gift that God has given both Joe and me is that of stickability. Um, we've both seen colleagues come and go over the years in our various ministries, but um, we're both sort of uh, those sort of kind of people that just keep doing things for a long time. And, and I think sticking at your ministry for a long time is, is good because it, it gives you the advantage of the decades, you know, um, and things start to happen that you don't expect. Um, for example, um, about 20 years ago, I started um, a school's ministry uh, organisation called Mustard, named after the parable we're talking about today. And it's a ministry still going to this day. Its purpose is to encourage the faith of high school students and to help them see their school as a mission field. Um, and, and Mustard runs events in schools. And what we started with is a small tin pot ministry, but the schools got on board and, and gave us opportunities. 
Um, we had little to no experience when we started. We just made it up as we went along, but we were able to convince um, the government and independent schools, mainly independent schools when we started, it's changed now, but we, we, we convinced them to let Mustard do its thing and let the students do their thing. And when I was in holid on holidays in Hamilton this last few weeks, um, we were staying with a family, um, Bruick and Belinda Colleton, and Bruick was part of the, the original team. And he, he's a, you know, a real entrepreneurial type. He's currently the mayor of Hamilton and he runs the cafe and he um, runs a tech company and he's one of those guys who's always starting new things. And that's what he was like back then too, so he was good to have around. And we were just reflecting on how amazing it is that Mustard has gone on 20 years later and God is still using it to reach young people. And now, you know, for me, I have this huge encouragement that I experience where I meet people who are in ministry now, like the you know leading churches or leading ministries, um, and they once were students in mustard groups or had become Christians through mustard, and you know 10, 15, 20 years later, here they are as adults leading other people, and even in I think this year we've got this cool thing at Mary Creek where we've got a, our first well it's cool for me I don't know if it's cool for you our first. Our first high school student, so our first person going from grade six into year seven, into a school that has a mustard group. That's the point I'm trying to make. And so for me, it's trippy, you know, and it's a massive encouragement. Um, it brings me more joy than anything else to know that God is working invisibly, not specifically through me, but through all the people who get involved in the kingdom of heaven. But this is just my personal experience of it. Um, I know that when I'm here preaching a sermon, even if it's boring and if you fall asleep, I know that God is work working invisibly. Even if the band stuffs it up, God is working invisibly. Even if, you know, you come 10 minutes late to church and, you know, you're distracted the whole time because um, the kids are making too much noise, God is working powerfully and invisibly. The point is not to focus on the humans, but to focus on God. These are parables about God. They're not parables about people. Because it's God who is working through me, through you. I'm sure that there are others in this congregation who can give similar stories about ministry over the, over the long period and being a Christian over the long period. You might find that there comes a day when you're older and you, you bump into some 30 person in their 30s and they say to you, when I was a little kid, you were my Sunday school leader. And thank you for leading me in that because it helped me grow as a Christian. God is using you. The other application I want to just make to finish with is that God is at work in you, even if you can't sense it. It's not that he's only at work in your ministry, but he's also at work in you, even if you can't sense it. God's gift to every Christian of the Holy Spirit is his personal deposit of the kingdom of heaven living inside of you. And as you live your life with Jesus, even if you can't feel him at work, he is working. Even if you can't sense any change, you are changing. The Holy Spirit is working to transform you into Christ's likeness. So don't give up. 
Have faith in God's invisible kingdom power at work in you through the Spirit of Christ. So I hope you can see from this morning how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you that you are work, at work right now through all of us, ministering to each other um, as we encourage each other as the body of Christ. And we thank you that um, you don't call us to be efficient or perfect in our ministry, but just to be obedient. We pray that we can have increased faith to trust in you and to draw our strength from you. Amen.